0: This is Family Office Intel at Denton's, the place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry, and actionable ideas for advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the Modern Family Office. I'm Edward Marshall, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. The following is a conversation with Dennis Jaffe. Dennis is one of the leading architects in the field of family enterprise consulting. He helps multi-generational families uh, to develop governance practices aimed at capacity building, the next-generation leadership, and ensure ongoing capability of financial organizations and family offices to serve their family clients. He's also a family business fellow at Cornell University. He's a faculty advisor at the Ultra High Institute, and he's a regular contributor to the Forbes Leadership Channel. He's also a professional member of STEP, the Society for Trust and Estate Planners. Dennis is a published author many, many times over, and, and including his latest book, called Borrowed from Your Grandchildren, The Evolution of 100-Year Family Enterprises. He's a former professor at Saybrook University and received his uh, undergraduate in philosophy, his master's in management, and his PhD in sociology, all from Yale University. Our discussion today will cover many areas, including an overview of the family business and family enterprise space, including Dennis's findings in this area after decades of studying it, We'll also talk about the common characteristics of families that are able to achieve long-lasting family businesses and enterprises. We'll delve into the developing the next gen to be good stewards of family wealth, and we'll also discuss the role of the family office in supporting successful family enterprises. So, Dennis, let's get started. Thanks again for joining. Um, talk to us about how you got started in in the working with family businesses and family enterprises.
1: Well, I've been really fortunate. Um, I, um, uh, I had, uh, you know, kind of two interests when I was in graduate school, and I didn't really see them connected. And then the field kind of came and, um, and hit me. Um, I started out um, with an interest in, in families, and um, I became um, a family therapist and, and worked with families, But um, uh, then I went to management school and then got a doctorate in sociology and you had to kind of um, study two areas. And so the two areas I picked were totally different. Um, One was to study the family as an entity and the other was to study um, business and and strategy. And so that was my profession that I adopted. And I kind of put aside the family stuff and said, well, that, um, that was nice. But now I'm working in, in business, and uh, in the 80s I was, because I guess of that background, I was fortunate to be asked into um, to attend a, a gathering of of people from different fields talking about um, family business, and and in the 80s, and um, at that time, even though there was um, everybody knew that there was a family business, business schools didn't really recognize it, and um, it wasn't really recognized as a category. If if you thought about family business you you thought of it as well it's it's a kind of an undeveloped incomplete business it's too much of a family and it needs to get that family stuff out and become a rational business and that was the uh, the thinking and then these people got together and they um started to say well gee there are very unique things about um families and the fact that a family owns a business means that the um the family um has um, uh, not just uh, profit motive but but other interests, non-financial interests and, and it makes for greater complexity. And so this group started to um, really define a field and started um, to think about family um, business um, as a uh, something that should be studied and uh, and it, it, it was a wonderful um, a group of people and it, it's evolved into a global um, uh, field of interest and I think in some ways, Um, the family business orientation is, uh, um, is, you know, is kind of uh, really leading now, um, business thinking. So because of that, um, I kind of said, gee, I can combine my interest in family dynamics and my interest in business and do something that brings them together. So I started to, to do that. And and I've really grown up in the past gods. It's been now 40 years, um, with the field and, um, uh, and, and, uh, seeing the field as a um, kind of evolving from interest to interest as it began to um, look at what is it it to be a family business? What is it to be a family enterprise? How does family and business uh, work together productively? And how do they, uh, as we all know, work together um, to create conflict and difficulty um, for a business? And and then how, as professionals, uh, how do we help um, these families to get through conflict and, and create an entity that, that really thrives and uh, creates value.
0: So Dennis, in terms of, let's talk about some nomenclature, family enterprise, family business, that's pretty easy to understand, but family enterprise, how would you define that? And how has well, that term evolved?
1: Well, here, here's what, what's happened. So around the turn of the, the century, um, the field was called family business. And um, and then, um, uh People started, families started forming family offices, um, families started to, to sell the family business, and um, to our um, amazement, they would sell the family business, but they'd say, well, gee, we still want to be together, we have something special, um, and so they would create a family office or a family investment group, and um, family businesses began to diversify, and so we began to say, well, it isn't anymore, when we talk about a family, it isn't just a family with one business. It's a family with enterprise that has a business, may have several businesses, may have an investment group, may have real estate, may have a ranch um, or a farm, uh, has a a foundation. And so these are all family enterprises. And so we use the word enterprise to encompass um, the fact that, that family shared ownership by a family can uh, and, and over generations becomes very diverse. And so I think the, the term now is family enterprise rather than talking about a single family business.
0: Dennis, you talked about the family business space, that, that there's some unique characteristics to it and some characteristics that go beyond just the economics. Why uh, why look at the space and, and what are some of those interesting Aspects to it that have, have drawn you so close to it.
1: Well, I've just f- contri- finished a piece um, uh, that Forbes asked me to do about the future of work, and um, and uh, what I'm um, beginning to to what I'm looking at is the fact that in the um, in the in the, the end of the twentieth century, um, business was considered that the model business was General Electric, um, GE and it was a conglomerate, but it was rational, it was numbers based, if you didn't perform you were fired, it was merciless, and it was very very much um, uh, profit oriented. And uh, what's happening now is we're beginning to shift to what's being called a stakeholder view where we look at shared responsibility for the uh, environment, we look at different constituencies, and uh, we look more broadly than just, um, uh, you know, year-to-year profit, and, um, and what's a, what we're finding is that where do we find those businesses? Well, they are family businesses. They are um, family businesses that make up the fabric of every country in the world, and um, what's different about a family business that um we used to think of as a deficiency and now we think of it as a virtue is that a family business has owners that have a personal relationship so rather than you know just we own a piece of stock and we all want to make money on it family members have a broader agenda they um they have they want to advance uh, they want to um uh you know they, they have things that they care about together they trust each other they, um, they have some shared values and they want to apply these in the business. So the shared relationships means that the agendas of family enterprises are broader than just financial. The second thing that family enterprises have in, in common is, is a long-term view. Family wants to pass on the business, the enterprise to their children, to their grandchildren. Some families talk about seven-generation thinking. And um, so they're looking to the future. So they're willing to um, uh, uh, invest long-term, they're willing to sacrifice as we're finding right now during the pandemic, they're willing to make sacrifices, they're willing to limit um, immediate returns and to invest in the future, to invest in innovation, to invest in in change. So these are qualities of family business and what we're seeing is now, now that they're being adopted um, uh, the, 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 uh, the uh, world economic council, the business Roundtable, have talked about now sh- stakeholder capitalism, which is the view that's shared by a family business. And so we're seeing that business now, um, if the world is to survive and, and, um, and the communities are, are to thrive businesses has to take a broader view, not against, um, uh, profit, but, but, uh, but look at long-term profit as being um, having a sustainable community, having um, uh, uh, trust uh, and connection to uh, the environment, to, to other people, to communities. Um, uh, and uh, and this is what we begin to call ESG um, uh, um, uh, in, in investing. Um, in, and these are the characteristics of a family business. So I see now the new new, new century family business as a model. It's not something that you, you try to overcome, but the personal relationships and the future focus of the family is something that we want to emulate. And this is why we're learning from family businesses rather than trying to um, make them more uh, rational and, and efficient.
0: Some interesting points in there, Dennis, including uh, some families that have come out with their own uh, sort of impact models as well. So the interesting uh, trend that that you discuss, I mean, you mentioned some of the things that have changed uh, over your the course of your you know, many decades of study of family businesses and enterprises, uh, including sale of those businesses and, and creation of these ecosystems to support the family. Are there other things that you've seen that have changed in this space over the last 30, 40 years? Uh, and thinking about not just in the U.S., but in different parts of the world?
1: Well, um, a lot of things ha- have, have changed. Um, uh, one thing that um, I noted, um, and, and I, I should mention now that my book is based on um, uh, seven years of um, interviews uh, all over the world with um, family enterprises that have gone beyond the third generation that have become quite large and multifaceted and have retained... Their family identity. So I interviewed a hundred families from twenty countries, and um, um, I, uh, in most of the families, I interviewed members of two different generations to um, look at not just what they were in their third or fourth or fifth generation, but to ask them how they got to be where they were. And um, and so what I uh, found is that the. Families are um, are not a mo- are, are not a static target. And if you study them at one time, you get a snapshot, but you don't really understand the evolution. So I've been watching um, and looking at how these families evolve over a number of generations to the point where they have maybe you know 50, 60, 70, even even hundreds of family owners, but they work together as a coherent, and a uh, values-based unit, um, and they, they somehow attain um, unity and and focus, and uh, and uh, are able to um, to grow and develop um, in a um, in an effective way. We call it um, generative families because they continually create value. They don't just create value in their early stages and then kind of live off it. They they really evolve, and as they evolve, they go through. Um, stage maybe of, of having a single business, then they either sell the business or they, um, the business becomes, um, uh, begins, uh, they turn it over to non-family managers and they begin to focus on social impact. They begin to focus on other investments. They begin to buy other businesses and see themselves as a commercial force in their community. And they also, and again, this, this research was done before the pandemic, they uh, have a more and more global focus. So in uh, as we're emerging from the pandemic, we're beginning to see how these families will reestablish or redefine or um, rethink um, their, their their focus as they uh, move into a new stage of, of development. So we're seeing family uh, enterprise as evolving. Um, they're moving from a single business to enterprises, they're moving into family offices and to shared investment groups. They're moving into social impact and social action. that includes social entrepreneurship as well as um, uh, philanthropy. They're um, they're keeping together as and thinking more globally and environmentally about the future of their family. And they're they're really becoming um, what I call global citizens as they as they grow up and um a model of uh social responsibility
0: you mentioned a few things that were common ties to these families that had are, are have, you've termed as generative you know meaning yeah. passing on from one generation to the next uh, are there other common characteristics you know what, what are some of the elements of the the secret sauce well- that, that binds well, the, some it, of
1: these families. The secret sauce is, is, is not a, a thing or a um, you know, kind of one magic behavior, but it, it's rather a way of um, culture building. And uh, the model that I came up with is that the, the family um, uh, evolves a, a family culture, a generative culture over generations. And, and at the center, all of these families said, shared values and a shared purpose. And the purpose is partly the legacy of the elders, but it's also, purpose is renewed by each new generation. So each generation kind of signs on and uh, joins in, and, um, and the family purpose um, expands and moves over the generations. But the values and purpose, um, which sometimes people say that that's what it's all about, these families said, well, that doesn't really do anything. A shared purpose is nothing unless you make it happen. And so these families, particularly the ones as they became larger in the third, fourth generations, they evolved a governance system. And the governance system includes things that they do as a family to develop the next generation, and things that they do as a business. So they, they develop a business board, and they have sometimes independent directors, and if they have a number of different businesses, they each have different boards, and they have a holding company. And so they have a complex governance structure in their business and finance. And parallel to that, these families have a family structure that deals with family land, family uh, education, family decision-making, family goals, fairness, um, um, uh, dealing with conflicts and and mediating them, um, uh, all kinds of things that have to do with keeping the family together. And so there, there's the, the, the two different levels of governance. Then around the, the governance, um, there are four um, uh, kind of pathways that I identified. One is these families are very, very engaged across the generations. They do a lot of things together. They listen to each other. They learn from each other. The next generation has been um, educated and they, they, they've traveled and they, um, they, they, they don't just come back into the family, they come back and, and help the family educate and grow and develop new ideas. Um, the families uh, also um, have, uh, are resilient. They're continually rethinking. They, they sell um, their businesses, they redefine them, they invest in new things, they find new directions. And so the families are, are, are never in the same business that they were in a generation or, or two ago. The, the third thing, the third path is these people invest heavily in creating the next generation of the family, in educating, in engaging, in, um, uh, in, in finding uh, um, roles, and, and inviting the next generation to be involved in the family. Because if the next generation is educated and excited, but they don't want to be part of the family business, then there's no future. So they, they, they really develop the next generation and they offer the opportunities. And the final thing is that these families, as they grow, they have a, a wider and wider social commitment. They, they look ahead to their grandchildren and they say, gee, uh, uh, my grandchildren want to live in a vibrant uh, world. They want um, to be see sustainability. They want uh, our family to have a reputation for integrity. They want us to be known um, as public-spirited. They want us to be known for something um, that excites them and is meaningful for them, so they develop a social commitment. So all of these things together create um, uh, what, what uh, uh, is a unique culture in these families. And the, and the mega-families around the world um, that, are, that are family leaders now have uh, all of these elements. And I, I was actually really amazed in my research to see that whether they were in asia whether they were in india whether they were in europe uh africa um these themes about engagement about development about parallel family and business governance about values about social commitment they were um common all over the world even though families may have gone about these things in in very different ways so there were a a lot of
0: things in common were there any idiosyncrasies uh, between different cultures and countries that you found that were, that were interesting that came yeah. up in your, your research?
1: Well, what's interesting is, is actually um, there, there, were, there were two books. <laughs> and books are about the same thing, but they have a different perspective. So Borrowed From Your Grandchildren is about the commonalities that I've been talking about. But then uh, my colleague, uh, Jim Grubman, and I uh, also looked at different cultures around the world and, um, and we wrote a book called Cross Cultures that's about the different cultures that we see in, uh, in, in the world um, in, um, in family uh, enterprise. And um, following other, um, other theorists, um, we found that there were three basic uh, cultural uh, archetypes or models in, in, in the world. And uh, uh, one is the, um, the Eastern um, view um, in South Asia and China that, that sees, um, uh, the, um, uh, called the harmony culture. It's about people living together in harmony, great respect for elders and traditions. Um, very much, um, um, you know, the wisdom that's developed is better than the new wisdom. Um, it's, um, it's a very, it's ambiguous. It's, it's respectful of people and doesn't want people to lose. It's a, Lose face. Um, it's um, uh, rarely people don't um, respect their elders. They don't. Um, um, uh, everybody doesn't have new ideas, and the idea of, of the elders um, is um, uh, takes precedence. And that that's one view. The opposite view is the, the 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 Western individualist view, where everyone is equal, and everybody is listened to, and it's kind of a rational. Um, people have rights and they stand up for themselves and uh, all of the individuals have to work together and create harmony and um, sometimes uh, there's a lot of uh, dissent and argument and there's not as much of a hierarchy. The elders are just people like everybody else rather than special um, people and, and so that's, that's the Western uh, model and, and these two models are often seen as um, uh, you know, kind of contrasting but then there's a third model, and the third model in some ways is, um, is uh, most prevalent, and that's called the honor culture. And that's um, where the, the, there's a strict hierarchy uh, of elders, but the, uh, there isn't um, as much social trust. So the, uh, the different groups are in competition, they have to be suspicious, they, um, your, your family takes care of you, um, outside the family is, is threatening, and um, they're, um, they're very uh, political um, alliances and, um, and uh, the, the, uh, the power of the elders is, is through fear and um, uh, for, for safety. So this is the model um, uh, of uh, uh, a lot of um, Southern Europe. Um, it's a model in India, it's a model um, uh, in, in Africa, and it's a, um, uh, there's not as much social trust, um, and uh, there's a lot of politics. So these three models, the, the honor culture, the individualistic culture, and the harmony culture, um, are um, different countries around the world, have different varieties of them. But what we found in our research is that, that while these are the cultures uh, of origin of a lot of the, the world, the children of these families, particularly when they're when they're successful, they travel and they begin to see that their cultural model is not the only one. That that it can be done differently. Different uh, different um, countries do it differently, and so they grow up in a, in a uh, multiple culture world and they travel and they 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 um, they see that cultures are um, are um, uh, understood, but they're also changing. So the, the new generation um, we, we talk about is, is kind of blending the East and West, the uh, honor culture and the harmony culture. Um, they're, they're beginning to blend. And what happens is sometimes in families, the older generation represents the original culture, um, harmony culture, uh, honor culture, and the younger generation represents a more global culture. And so there's an internal um, cultural uh, struggle in these families as, as they begin to evolve and, 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 and change the family they have to challenge some of the assumptions about the family culture and um, and this is a um, uh, this can be very disconcerting and very uh, difficult for a family because the older generation wants to hold on to their culture and, and they, they, they feel um, very upset to see it taken away. And the younger generation are just as demanding. They say, no, it's modern. We have to be more um, more this and more that because that's the way uh, uh, in the world. And, and then there's a very, can be very contentious in, in families, these cultural differences.
0: Dennis, with the next generation, oftentimes you'll, you'll see a, a family struggle with how to engage uh, the children through a rising generation, next generation, you know, you, you certainly see children who have been given all the advantages of education, experiences, and, and sort of upbringing, but are not willing or interested in participating in the family business or other elements of the family enterprise. How you know, how should they be involved? Is that are there ways to to get uh, the next generation involved in well, those areas? They, they,
1: so, so there's a, a lot of cultural issues in in doing that, and and one is that um, younger generations don't automatically want to be part of the family enterprise. They have a lot of options. They, they have a lot of education, and um, and um, they have opportunities. So, so the family. If the family enterprise wants to have them be involved, the family enterprise has to recruit them. It can't just assume that they, that they want to be there. So it has to, first of all, listen to them. It has to make a case and say, here's a way you, you can contribute. And, and some of the successful families, they, they use metaphors like uh, um, the uh, bundle of sticks where they say, well, each stick can be broken and you can all be a bunch of individual sticks out there um, and do some something. But think about all the sticks being together in a bundle, you have an unbreakable thing. And so they, they begin to say, here's um, what we have together. But then they have to create a, a, um, a, a, a way of working together as a family, where the younger people have a voice, they, their ideas are listened to, for example, a lot of younger generation people challenge Um, uh, and they say we we want a sustainable business, or we don't want to be involved in this kind of, uh, this kind of business activity. We want to see an environmental, um, impact be more positive, our carbon footprint. And so the next generation says, if we want to be involved, we want you to listen to this. And the older generation may say, yes, we, we, we hear you and we understand, but we have, um, a business that's been going for a long time in this way and the evolution uh, has to go more slowly, so there's a um, a give and take um, that people have to have. The, the The biggest thing that I see is that families have to make it clear to the next generation that it isn't um, that the business isn't a prize. It's something that that you get. Um, it's a it's a responsibility, and that you can benefit and have a wonderful life uh, as part of a business family. Um, and, and live very well and live um, very elegantly, but also you have to be responsible. You have to be, take part. You have to be part of governance structures. You have to be come uh, attend family meetings. You have to do your work. You have to take on a role, helping the family. And so the, uh, the, 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 the things that the families have is they, they need to instill it, uh, instead of entitlement about what you get, It's, you get something, but you, uh, in order to get it, you also have to be a good citizen and be responsible. And so families, um, uh, as a way of, uh, instead of having people, young people assume, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to get all this money, I'm going to have a trust fund, I'm going to have income, they begin to see that, that, that along with those benefits are responsibilities and limits. And so families create what we call a code of conduct um, for how the family will behave, what is expected of a family member, what kind of uh, income. If you are an owner, what are you responsible for? What kind of um, uh, work um, and, and engagement do you have to have? And um, they, they create a, a cultural statement um, that we call a constitution, code of conduct, a value statement that defines who the family is as a community. And and that's what um, governance is, um, is, and and the way in which the family is creating a sense of responsibility in the young people. And so you can't just expect that everything is going to get, get, get. You've got to become a productive citizen in the community, which means you have to participate, you have to experience limits, you have to fulfill um, uh, you know, some, uh, expectations and, um, uh, uh, in order to benefit.
0: What about family members that just don't want to be part of the family enterprise or they, they, they lack the capacity to be, to be involved in that particular family business, but they have other elements, uh, and other certainly skills and desires to, to, to focus on that. How have you seen uh, families embrace family members like that? Because I I can imagine the amount of just angst that that can cause with when you're trying to force fit uh, a a family member into a particular role when when something else might be more, more efficient.
1: Well, this is where the good news is. So you have a third or fourth generation family business, you have, 60 or 80 people in that generation and then all of them marry people um, and so they bring in other people into the family so the family can get quite large with a diversity of talents. What family members do is, first of all, it, um, the, the role of the next generation is not to run the business um, and, and be an owner-operator the way that the, the patriarch, the first generation wealth creator was. There are many roles. And, and sometimes a family says, you know, we have wonderful wealth and we want our, our family members to be productive. So um, they, um, family members become uh, musicians, they become artists, um, they become writers, they also um, make a social commitment, they become involved in nonprofits, they become involved in philanthropy. So the family, in, in developing the next generation, has a real sense of pride. Um, and the expectations are not that you will go in the business, but that you will do something productive. And, um, and if, it, if it involves social enterprise, maybe the family will um, uh, invest in you, maybe the family foundation. Um, so that they provide opportunities, but they're, um, over the generations, they get more and more diverse and, and the families have more and more different opportunities. And so when you say to a next generation, you want to become involved in the family? You could become involved in philanthropy. You could become a venture capitalist and 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 create a um, a venture fund that includes family members and 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 uh, social investments. Um, you can, um, you know, do do different things. Not everybody. Uh, you can't have 80 family members um, working and running the family business anyway. So, the opportunity and the diversity is is welcome. And what you want to do is to find the uh, the family members that, that are the most uh, talented and capable and, and um, that are ready to take the reins in financial areas, but in with 80 well-educated people, um, the family can usually find some candidates who are um, uh, very, very professional and very, very um, creative and, and talented, but they also... Can hire non- non-family members and, uh, as directors, as as executives, as as advisors, as family um, uh, office managers. So there there there's a lot of options for the family, and the family has to be organized in order to take advantage of them.
0: What about some of those characteristics that you mentioned too of helping those the the kids become good stewards of the family wealth and and, and the, the legacy that the family business has created, how can you help uh, you know, prevent or or turn around children that appear to be going down the path of affluenza uh, or could be very, very, very far down that road? I, well, I assume that early intervention is probably the best, but sometimes it's not, not always
1: well, possible. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things. One is um, that um, uh, families that create a sense of expectations and have d- discussions early in life um, so that you don't go down. For example, um, a family shouldn't, you shouldn't have um, uh, un, uh, unchecked access to cash. Um, uh, you should have, um, there should be expectations of what you will do. Um, families um, have to ask for certain behavior. If, if there is a, uh, um, a person that, that's well along the road you have to say that the family has not been uh, working as a responsible community early on, to um, to to challenge um, and um, these things. So um, families um, uh, engage these issues, um, and they um, and they 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 um, you know build a, a structure where um, uh, if if people come into um, uh, ownership um, of of. Resources. There are uh, there are limits. This is where trusts come in. This is where um, trustees um, and and trust relationships come in. This is where family governance um, comes in. Family codes of conduct. Um, family members, um, you know, sometimes have to rein in um, uh, family members and and say, hey, um, you can't do this, and they have to make it um, make it stick. Um, there, there's a, if someone is way down, down the line, um, and very impaired, sometimes they need it, um, a a caregiver and they need, uh, um, a structure where they have resources so that they can live, but they're, um, there's a, a trustee and a caregiver taking care of them.
0: But switch gears a little bit and talk about the family office. There's many different kinds uh, of out there, but regardless of the the archetype of the family office, how have you seen that role of, you know, uh, uh, of that entity support a successful family enterprise?
1: Well, the family office is is where the family ends up if they make it into a third um, generation or, or later. Um, even if they have their legacy business and their legacy business is, is large, often the legacy business has become a public company, has other shareholders. So the family begins to shift its wealth into a family office in which the legacy business is one asset of many. The family office is a, is a wonderful uh, opportunity for, for family. And, and what I see in these uh, 100 families that I, I studied is, is almost all of them have by the third generation a family office. And the family office is not just a place for investments, but it's a way of grounding the identity of the family. The family is not just um, now in, in, in one uh, business, but it but has, a, has a social mission. And, um, and, um, and often the family office is a clubhouse. Some of the family offices I've seen have museums and uh, artifacts and, 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 and kind of uh, let, you know um, uh, mementos of, of the things that the family has done. So you walk into a family office and it, it just kind of talks about um, the family as a living entity. It's also a place where um, the family balances individual needs, Um, Different individuals um, create their own families and a a family office is really serving uh, a number of families and um, sometimes uh, different family members have different needs, but then there's the collective um, uh, that the family office is often um, holds an annual family meeting, a summer meeting maybe, it may have family property, Um, they may have like a family ranch um, or a family vacation um may house the family foundation. so if you think of the family office not as a financial entity, although it's it's partly that but it, but it's really an identity and a, a cultural grounding for the family. this is where the family culture lies. This is um, uh, who the family is as well as uh, what they do. And so family offices come out of that now um, more and more families are, Family offices is um, a lot of families are, are becoming part of multi-family offices. And some multi-family offices have a lot of opportunity for the family to get together. Um, but there are other things that the family does together, like creating a shared, some families have a shared, uh, for example, shared website um, or shared, um, uh, you know, way of, of getting together um, uh, and and um, uh, and for their, you know, to do family activities. So the family office is kind of an inevitable outcome of a successful family um, over the third, uh, fourth generation. And it it, um, takes many forms, but but that's where families um, kind of end up. So
0: what are some of those warning signals or telltale signs that a family enterprise is not going to make it to, you know, to the hundred year mark and succeed in the long run?
1: Well, there were, there were two things. One is um, uh, you know, the the size is a, is, is a factor. And and sometimes um, a family uh, is too successful and um, a number of the families, for example, in, in my study, they reached the fifth or sixth generation. They were huge and there were, you know, three or four, family branches and, and the family branches each um, basically created a individual um, family offices that went in different directions. One family, for example, had one family branch that was very entrepreneurial and had a lot of you know, young people that were in finance and the other one was very conservative and wanted to um, um, you know, just have more passive investments. And so they split into two um, different entities. The other thing, though, is is that that as the family grows, the family governance becomes more and more important because the family has to talk about differences. They have to, for example, if if there's a dissident family member um, that really disagrees um, with what the family is doing, there has to be an exit policy. Um, If there's um, uh, great differences in in, um, what the family wants to do, um, they have to work them out. And um, so the, the, uh, the, the danger signs is when there's differences that the family is avoiding, when there's hostility that comes out of differences that are not resolved, where the family has different goals, they have to have a mechanism for dealing with it as a family or the conflict is gonna spill out into lawsuits, it's gonna spill out um, in, in some way, and, and this is a challenge because here's where the, the families now, it's not a nuclear family. Um, families have multiple marriages um, on some parts of the world. there, um, uh, there may be multiple uh, spouses. Um, there may be um, uh, you know kind of you know blended families with different sets of kids. Um, there are complex families. Um, where there's a number of different branches. And so the, the, the family governance is necessary to manage the differences in a productive way. So I think conflict and, um, and divergent, uh, divergence of interests is, is the major thing that, uh, um, that uh, limits and, and, and destroys a family. But there also is a time when it, it is not a defeat. If a family has created great wealth, and they get to the third generation, and they say, you know, let's everybody take their investments and go off in their own direction. We don't have anything in common anymore. That's not so bad. That may be the best, highest uh, thing for the family to do, to go off in different directions, and some of the family members can become entrepreneurial, and some of them can become, um, you know, kind of, you know, quiet investors, and some of them can You know, live a good life and and become involved in philanthropy, Um, and and um, it 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 may be the right thing for the family to um, uh, diverge in that way.
0: Especially if there's some, you know, irreconcilable differences, or things have just changed, or Or, or over time, or or
1: or, just distance, just just distance. I mean, there's global families, um, for example, that I work with, where where they live in um, in five different countries. And they don't even speak the same language. And they say, you know, (laughs) it was nice um, that we have a common great, great, great grandfather, but, uh, um, you know, we don't have anything in common anymore. So it's why keep it together.
0: So Dennis, I hate to ask you to bring out a crystal ball, but Mm -hmm. if you'll indulge me in terms of the pandemic, where do you see family enterprises in a, Future state post pandemic, let maybe even fast forward to 2022 when things normalize around the world. Do you see any changes or or or, or things that I, are starting
1: to brew as, I as think part of it? They're going to be vast, and um, and the families really have to not just sit back and wait, but begin to to think about them. Because first of all, family meetings were a regular feature, and and people got together all over the world. Um, and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and families haven't been meeting. Um, so they, they've been isolated from each other. Um, second is the global focus is, is challenging and um, families have to re- retrench um, the cash flow. They have to make sacrifices. And um, and some of the families, the, the people in charge are making sacrifices, but the family members don't understand. And so they get angry. Um, So I think families have to do a reset and they have the time they have to get together on, on zoom and uh, have some family meetings and have some discussions about where are we going? Um, Maybe it's time to pull back. Maybe we have to close some businesses. Maybe we have to, you know, question whether we can be independent, but also they have to say, well, now that we're dispersed, um, how do we want to come together as a family? So, um, uh, I think this summer, for example, I, I'm seeing a lot of families are going to have their first family meeting for two years, and these are going to be, um, incredible meetings, um, where the family looks ahead, where the family, um, you know, talks about adversity and how much they've lost or how hard it's been and, uh, renews themselves. Um, so it's going to be a, uh, a real reckoning, I think, for families. And the families that are resilient are going um, to be those that are able to move through this like they were moved through other crises. You know, families have been through world wars. They've been through nationalization. They've been through uh, um, uh, all kinds of different uh, political regimes. They've been through environmental crisis. Um, uh, so a lot of families... The pandemic isn't even the worst thing that happened to them, and and, and they can learn um, from their past experience.
0: Well, I think uh, some, you know, certainly some great points in terms of that families are not cast in stone. There's there's definitely some evolution, yeah. that, that takes place, and uh, events like a, a global pandemic are mm-hmm. certainly one of them. So I asked you to look uh, ahead, but maybe to, to close this out, let's let's look backwards and and think about. Lessons learned. What's something that you wish you knew back back when you got started in the family business and family enterprise space that you know today?
1: I think um, I think that uh, there, there there's an epidemic in the world in addition to the pandemic, and that's either or thinking, and 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 that there's one solution, and it's either this or this, um, or one thing that we have to do. And I think that that families and individuals need to look more. Um, systemically at at multiple um, opportunities and multiple um, uh, directions rather than um, there is one way or there is um, something that we have to do that that will save us or um, be the best for us and and they really have to uh, understand how complex the world is and how many social forces there are that they have to navigate and, and not do just one thing.
0: Well, thank you, Dennis. Um, that, that was fantastic. It was great talking great. to you. And, and, and thanks uh, to all of you for, for listening in uh, today. If you'd like to get in touch with Dennis or have any questions, do send us an email to dentons.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation or are so inclined, subscribe to the channel, review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. As always, sharing this episode is very much appreciated and probably the best way that you can show your support. To sign up for our newsletters and learn more about our solutions and research in the family office space, check out our website. That's dentons.com forward slash family office. That's it. Bye, everyone.